This is Docs Outside the Box, Episode 8. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting-edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry, you're getting real-life insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. Welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I am your host, Dr. Nee Darko. Right now, it's a pretty tumultuous time here in the United States, almost a powder keg type of situation comparable to the 1960s. Although I didn't grow up in the 60s, it seems as though tensions are very high right now. And I am looking in the near future to invite some physicians who are doing some extraordinary things within the field of criminal justice as well as bringing more limelight to violence being a public health issue here in the United States. So stay tuned for that. But I have to, gots to give props to Dr. Brian H. Williams, who was the on-call trauma surgeon at Parkland Hospital down in Dallas. And he said some very poignant words and basically described his feelings of support, as well as disappointment with losing the five police officers May they rest in peace and not being able to save them, but also at the same time having this burden, this emotion, a feeling of fear of the very own cops that he's trying to save. And I thought that that was a very important dichotomy to make. I actually had the pleasure of working with Dr. Brian H. Williams when I was a fourth year and he was a fellow at Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. He was with Emory and I was at Morehouse and I'm telling you, what you see is what you get with him. He is amazing. He's excellent. He was my mentor and still is to this day. Um, I still keep in contact with him and he is everything that you see uh, on TV. So I just wanted to applaud and acknowledge Dr. Brian H. Williams for his efforts in attempting to save the lives um, of, of the five police officers, as well as the many others who were injured in that terrible event um, that happened in Dallas. There's really no uh, natural segue to go to our topic, but here at Docs Outside the Box, obviously, um, this show is about telling stories of doctors who are living and thriving off the beaten path. So I have featured physicians who are still relying on their clinical duties, still relying on what they get from their clinical work for income. And then also at the same time, on the other spectrum, I've also featured some physicians who are completely financially independent. So I'm thinking on a future show also that I may have to bring on a guest who can discuss negotiating contracts um, as well as maximizing our worth in private practice as well as even an employed physician. If you all are interested in something like that, make sure you hit me off on Twitter at DocsOTB or hit me on my email address at DocsOTB at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts about that. But bringing it back to my original point, if you are reliant on your clinical work, um, And what I mean by that, if you're not financially independent, do you still need disability? Do you still need life insurance? And what does each one mean? So I think that this is something that we all as physicians have been um, hit up on basically um, in some form, in some form of way um, during our training as residents and obviously as attendings. And ultimately, um, I want to know... um, do most of you even know half of what you're buying? I know when they were pimping that stuff to me, 
I kind of understood the the concept of disability and understood obviously the concept of of, of life insurance, specifically term life insurance. But there were some other um, esoteric products that I did not understand, like cash value life insurance. Um, so on this show, we're going to tackle everything related to disability and life insurance. I've invited Jamie Fleischner, um, who is the president of Set for Life Insurance, and she's been helping physicians and other clients purchase life and disability insurance for over 20 years. She also is an independent broker. She's very clear about letting us know that she is an independent insurance broker as opposed to an insurance agent. And um, in this show, I want you all to learn what's the difference between an insurance broker and insurance agent. Does it even matter? Does everybody need life and or disability insurance? And how do we as physicians, how do we purchase life and disability insurance without feeling like we're getting ripped off? And then we're also going to cover riders. You know, anybody who's bought life or disability insurance knows that the contract is full of all of this rider language. What does that mean? What are the most important riders we should have in our contracts? Jamie's going to help us discover those things. And have you guys ever heard of the pink, the pink price tag? So on average, women pay a lot more than males for disability. On this show, you're going to find out why. And also more importantly, though, you're not only going to find out why, you're going to find out, and this is for the, we- the women uh, listeners, how you can get around that markup. And then also, last but not least, we're going to get a chance to do some scenarios. For example, find out how much insurance a 32-year-old female fresh out of residency should be getting. So without further ado, let's get on with the interview. We are back with another episode of Docs Outside the Box. We have Jamie Fleischner, who is the president of Set for Life Insurance. And before we get into the nitty gritty of this interview, Jamie, I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So a little bit about myself. I grew up in the insurance business, so it was kind of in my blood. I always knew I wanted to go into business, but wasn't really sure what that really meant. Um, I graduated from Washington University in St. Louis with a degree in business. And while I was there, I did an internship in insurance just to test the market because I'd heard all about insurance from growing up. And I uh, I found that I really, really enjoyed the insurance business. Um, when I was doing my college internship, I started working with a lot of doctors at the WashU Medical School and also realized I really liked that marketplace. A lot of my friends were going into medicine and it just felt like a natural fit. Um, I determined I didn't want to stay in St. Louis. So I came back to my native Denver, Colorado and started working for a company for about three or four years just to get some good training. Um, After a couple of years, I decided I wanted to go out on my own. This allowed me to be independent as opposed to working for one company selling one product or having to feel like I had to sell their particular product. I really, truly wanted to be independent for my clients. So I went out on my own. I started my own practice. I originally started working primarily with physicians here in Denver um, at the medical school, doing seminars, getting to know them. And throughout the years, as my clients moved around the country, I started to get licensed in all other states. And now I'm 23 years in the business. I'm licensed in all 50 states, and we work with clients all over the country. Our focus has always been disability insurance and life insurance, and primarily working in the physician marketplace. Okay. Now, what's uh, I, I caught on to what you said about being independent, and as you know, docs outside the box. Um, part of the um, the stories that we like to tell, or I'd like to tell on this show, is 
physicians doing what they want, living outside the box, um, doing things outside of traditional medicine, but also at the same time being financially independent. So can you tell us what makes you different than other insurance agents, particularly this point or the part where you describe being independent? Well, there's really two different um, avenues to go when you're doing insurance. One is you're an agent. And if you're an agent of a company, you are actually employed by that company. And so you have an obligation to show that company's product first and foremost, first and foremost, and you're discouraged from showing other products. So I equate this to you, you know, you walk into a Lexus dealership, they're going to tell you all the great things about Lexus. They're not going to tell you the virtues of their competitors because they're not going to, they have an obligation to only sell Lexus. As an independent broker, I don't have any obligation for any of these companies. I don't work for any of the companies and I don't have any financial incentives or otherwise um, to sell their products. So as a result, I really truly work on behalf of my clients to find out what's in their best interest. And then I get the companies to work hard to try to convince me, uh, why are they a better um, policy? Are they going to have better underwriting? Um, and have them explain the different products. So my perspective is coming in by representing the client and shopping on their behalf, as opposed to working from the company top down and telling everybody one size fits all. This is why our product is great. Um, and there is a true distinction. I would say a significant amount of people in the insurance business are actually agents of a company. So they actually have an obligation or an incentive to only show their own company's product. Hmm. So thank you for clarifying that. So actually you are an insurance broker, not an agent. It has Correct. to be, that's a, that's a very um, profound distinction. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, as a, you know, as a resident going into this and they're looking around, I often get calls saying, well, I hear that such and such company is the best one, or it's the only one, or they're so much better than all the others. And that's usually oh, yeah. a telltale sign that they're working with an agent because the agent's going to okay. tell them why their company is so great. And, and really, Again, there really isn't one company that's significantly better than any others, and the policies themselves are not significantly better than others. So that's one of the flags that you know that you're working with somebody who has may not have your best interest at heart. They have their company's best interest at heart. So in terms of insurance, should physicians or even people who need to buy insurance, should we be looking at it more as a more like a commodity as opposed to, you know, insurance A is better than insurance B since based on what you're saying, they're all pretty similar. I think so. I think the advantage of working with an independent broker like myself is I can meet with a client or talk to the client and find out what's most important to them. So for example, I just got off the phone before this and I worked with a married couple, both physicians and the product that I recommended for him was totally different than the product that I recommended for her. One's male, one's female. They were different medical specialties. So their situation, even though they're both physicians, you know, what was in their best interest was not necessarily the exact same product. So it really is beneficial to work with somebody who knows all the nuances and differences in the policies and can truly find the most suitable product at the best premium for the client. All right. So let's get down to the nitty gritty then. We've, we've played enough. Uh, small talk, pillow talk. So how do, how do doctors, how do they get more confident about buying life and disability insurance? And first of all, like why does, what is disability insurance? Why do I need it? So disability. So yeah, there's disability and there's life insurance. So disability insurance is important if you yourself are dependent on your income. So if you rely on your paycheck and something happens and you can't work and generate that paycheck, 
you need to protect that income with a disability insurance product. So most people, especially physicians, medical residents are coming out, they're not financially independent unless they, you know, inherited a lot of money or, you know, they married somebody who has a lot of money. It's very, very rare. Um, Most people are totally dependent on their income. So if you're dependent on your income, you need to protect that income. Life insurance, however, is different. Life insurance is important if somebody else is dependent on your income. So if you're single, most likely you don't really need to have life insurance. If you have children and they're dependent on you or spouse or mortgage, et cetera, then you probably do need life insurance. So again, most people are dependent on their own income. Life insurance is when you have beneficiaries or others that are reliant on your income. When should you be, as a physician, be thinking about getting disability or even life insurance? Well, the, the earlier, the better, especially for disability insurance. So disability insurance can be one of the most difficult types of insurance to purchase. And the reason being is the insurance companies only have one chance to ask you all your medical history and see if you're and determine if you're a good risk. Because once you have your policy, you can increase it in the future without any medical questions. So the younger you are, the less expensive it's going to be. And typically, the healthier you are. Most people don't get more healthy over time. Usually, their health deteriorates over time. So the younger you are, the better for the disability okay. insurance. Life insurance, again, you can get it when you're young and you're healthy. But again, if you don't have any dependents and don't foresee any dependents for quite some time, when you're in medical school and money is tight, that may not be as big of a priority. So then how do how is it or how are physicians able to feel confident that they are buying the right products? Um, obviously, you can't or you don't service all physicians, but what's step number one that doctors need to do to get the right insurance product for themselves? Well, I think the mo- one of the most important things to do for a physician is make sure you're working with somebody that is experienced in this area because I, as simple as I make it sound, it's actually very complicated. And so if you're working with somebody who's, not experienced in this area, or you go to your auto, you know, the person who sells you your auto insurance, they are probably not well-versed in disability insurance. And especially for physicians, you need very specific type of insurance. And we can get into that in a little bit. So the first Mm -hmm. thing is, is work with somebody that has your best interests at heart, that can shop it around for you, that's experienced in the area um, and can answer your questions. And if you're working with somebody that has that capability That's the first thing. Now, these people are all going to be inundated with people trying to sell them from the moment they start uh, medical school all the way throughout their career. They're going to be, people are constantly trying to work with them. So the important thing is to find somebody that you, you know, that you feel confident with, that you can work with for a long period of time. You get your policy and, um, and that's, and you can take that policy with you throughout your career. So you don't have to continue making these decisions. So then Okay, so we so step number one is finding someone who obviously you would say is a broker. I yes, as a, who's an independent broker specializing in disability insurance. Okay, now what do you think about financial advisors who also sell insurance? Do you? I mean, I mean, not all. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on financial advisors or financial planners who do that, but do you recommend 
Um, Not necessarily. And again, that's a whole other issue. So if somebody is truly a financial advisor, they don't sell products typically. So they might advise you, you need to go find out, you know, find this or that. There are a lot of insurance people who pose as financial planners. And again, a lot of them are actually agents of a company and they'll be recommending their products. So if you're working with an actual financial advisor that sells insurance products, chances are they are an actual insurance agent or broker. Find out if they, you know, charge fees or if they're a commission-based salesperson. So I'm very upfront and open that I'm an insurance broker and I'm not, you know, a financial advisor. Um, That's first and foremost. You know, one of the biggest things that I hear other physicians, and I know I had this same issue, was, okay, realizing that, yes, I do need disability insurance. And also, once I got married, realizing that I needed life insurance. Um, But the one thing that I found to be very difficult was figuring out how much protection do I need? How much life insurance do I need? How much disability um, or the work was it the disability benefit did that would I need, um, you know, if I became disabled? How do physicians figure that out? How do they make that calculation? So the way I look at it, and again, I try to make it as simple as possible because what's right for you might be completely different for somebody else. So the most important thing you need to think about when, again, when you're young and in residency or in medical school is you want to be able to, um, if something happens to you, what needs to be covered tomorrow? What are your fixed expenses? Do you have student loan payments, rent, mortgage, food, etc.? So as a medical resident, you're eligible to purchase up to $5,000 a month benefit, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to, to purchase $5,000 a month benefit um, because for most residents, that's actually more than their actual take-home pay. So what I yeah, so, so 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 that number you're mentioning that's is that the that's maximum for residents all you know in the entire United States or yes. is that just specific to, yes. is that based off of how much they're making because some residents make you know more some residents make less it's depending totally, on what part of the region it's just, it's totally it's just across the board so again the couple I worked with this morning one was a pediatrician and one was a neurosurgeon and so in their case you know they they determined how much they needed to have. The most important thing they are doing is just getting the policy to cover their current needs. And then when they're done, you know, with their training, they'll increase it according to their new incomes. But yes, the minute now on the flip side, the minimum size policy during residency is a thousand dollars per month. So oftentimes I've clients who come to me right out of medical school and they've got, you know, four or five, six years of residency to go with a low income, they don't necessarily want to take out 5,000 a month benefit because their budget is tight. So in those cases, sometimes we do 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 a month, something like that, just to be able to cover their expenses, but also so that way they will have the ability to protect their insurability and increase in the future and no more further medical questions. Okay. How about life insurance? So how, so the amount of life insurance, so that's different. So the amount of life insurance that there's rule of thumb, usually you need 10 to 12 times your income to be able to um, replace your income. But again, in with life insurance, one of the things you want to look at is if something happens to you, what is the deficit? How much do you want to provide for your family? So again, it depends on how much debt does the family have? How many dependents are there, et cetera. So And an approximation for every million dollars of life insurance, it generates about $4,000 per month of income. So if you're looking at it and saying, okay, if something happens to my spouse and we need to have about $8,000 a month coming from them, we need about $2 million of life insurance. That's the other way of looking at it. Mm, Okay. All right. Now I understand. Okay. Now, once you graduate from residency and you're making an attending salary, um, 
what's the best way to do that calculation specifically for disability insurance? So once you're done with um, residency, then the equation totally changes. So during residency, regardless of income, regardless of group benefits, you can get 5,000 a month benefit or up to 5,000. After residency, there's two things. Number one, as a first year physician, you can automatically get 6,500 a month benefits. So if you're maybe you're doing locum work or you haven't landed a job yet or you're not quite sure, you can automatically get $6,500 a month benefit that first year or you're starting your own practice. Or what you can do is you can base your new benefits off your new income. So if you have a contract saying, I'm going to be making $250,000, I have a group policy that's going to provide 60%, we can calculate eligibility based on income and other disability insurance benefits in force. And that will determine the amount of eligibility. Okay. So one thing you mentioned in that explanation is group policy. Why do I need to buy my own policy? Why can't I just rely on the hospital's policy or um, my practice's policy? Um, I'm talking about a group disability. That's a really good question. And people ask that all the time. So there's a couple of reasons to supplement a group policy. Um, The first one is if the employer is paying the premiums for a group policy, it's taxable to you. So even if it's going to cover and there's usually a cap. So a group policy typically will say we'll cover 60% of your income up to a maximum of 10,000 a month. So with a cap, it's really more intended to cover more of the rank and file employees. So the larger your income becomes, the lower percentage of replacement that policy is going to cover. So as a result, you're able to take an individual policy supplement on top of that to bridge that gap. So that's the first reason. The second reason is a group policy definition of disability tends to be very restrictive. Now, keep in mind for on a group policy, the employer provides it and they don't ask any medical questions. Right. So if you have if somebody's HIV positive or diabetic or has some severe medical issues, they have to take them. As a result, they have no control over the risk. So they have to be stringent with the definition. So most group policies require you to be totally disabled, not working. So, so that means, so basically you're saying the, you need to actually have, is it the, the likelihood of them paying is worse or it's a lot yeah, harder because, to get them I mean, to pay out than having your own pro- policy? Yeah. So let's say you're a surgeon okay. and you develop, you know, um, arthritis and you can't perform surgery. Their definition is totally disabled, not working. So if you're a surgeon and you know you can't perform surgery, you might be able to do clinical work or research or something else. So with an individual policy, you'd still be able to go work and receive your benefit. A group policy would say, wait, you're able to work, you know, because you can do because we think you can do research or you are doing research. We're not paying anything. So it's Mm. much more strict to be able to get uh, benefits on a group policy. And again, the reason it's strict is it kind of has to be, they have to do something to control the risk because they can't ask those medical questions. I got you. Okay. And that's why it's important to bridge the gap, the the quote unquote gap with your own policy. And And the third reason is, is most people don't stay with the same employer their whole career. So oftentimes, you know, they start with one place and then they leave or they go somewhere else. So if you have an individual policy, that policy you can take with you throughout your whole career. So you don't, because what you don't want to have happen is you have an adverse change in health and then you are changing jobs and you're going to a private practice. Maybe they don't have disability coverage. Then you're out of luck because you're not going to be able to go out and buy it. And you don't want to be stuck at your employer for the benefits. So by having an individual policy that you can take with you gives you a level of control 
So you can move around throughout you know, your career without having to be stuck at a job for the benefits. Now, I get a lot of email. I get, or excuse me, not email, but I get a lot of snail mail uh, of different types of life insurance policies, different types of disability policies. Um, but specifically with disability policies, I always see that it says, um, you know, I'll get a letter that says modified own or I'll get a letter that says own occupation. Um, what does that mean? Why is that so important? I hear people say you got to make sure as a surgeon you get own occupation type of disability. Or um, I've heard that if you are in a specialty that's not as procedurally based, that may not mean as much. Can you explain that yeah, so um, for us? The definition of disability is the most important clause in a disability policy, because this is how a company determines whether or not they're going to pay your claim. So if they're not going to pay your claim, none of the rest of it even matters. So with a true own occupation, now again, some companies call it your OCK, regular OCK, um, there's different names for it, but the language is the same. Due to sickness or injury, you can't work in your medical specialty. It's going to pay you benefits regardless of what you earn elsewhere. So again, the example of the surgeon is pretty easy because if something happens and you can't do surgery, it's going to pay you benefits even if you go and do some other type of um, medicine. Or maybe you decide not to do medicine. Maybe you start your own business. Anything you do elsewhere, it'll still pay you. If you have any other kind of policy, if it's modified or some policies actually only have own occupation for two years, after that it becomes any occupation. And in that contract language, that that means is if there's something they deem that you're capable of doing, they don't have to pay your claim. So you have to be very cautious of those types of policies. Without true and occupation language, you know, it could come back and you're not going to get paid because the company can decide what they think you're capable of doing based on education and experience. So there, there's a company I used to be involved with, and you're, you're very familiar with that company that has, I believe, what modified own. Correct. Um, and there's a lot of people who actually have this this company. I'm not going to mention their name on here. Yes, I'm not either. <laughs> yes, the but, company but, that you're mentioning, yes. So, so what does that mean, so Basically, own? this company, and it's typically, and I see this happening all the time, this is a perfect example of an agent at, that works for a company, again, poses as a financial planner who only has one policy just, you know, and pushes it pretty hard. And what this policy is, is it's true in occupation for two years. But after two years, if you're capable of being gainfully employed, they're not going to pay your benefits. So again, you're a surgeon, something happens and again, you can't use your hands. Two years later, they say you're able to do this, that or the other thing. We don't have to pay your claim. And that could be hugely detrimental to um, especially a young physician who has a long year career ahead. So you have to be very careful of those kinds of policies. So you want to make sure that your policy has that true and occupation definition for the entire benefit period of the policy. Okay. Now, is this, is this true own occupation? Is that very important if you're in a specialty that is not as procedurally based? Like, for example, family medicine, even though family medicine doctors do a lot of office procedures. You know, I um, still think it's really important to have on the policy because whenever okay. you have any kind of language in a policy that gives an insurance company an out or the opportunity to, you know, modify whether or not they think they have to pay you, I, I don't like having that risk. Um, personally, you're, even if you're, you know, a pediatrician who's not doing any procedures, I still think it's important to be able to have that language in the policy because it gives you a level of control. Because again, you know, even a pediatrician, if they can't work doing their job and they decide they want to 
you know, do something from home or teach or do something else. You don't ever want a company coming back and determining or dictating what they think you can or can't do. So by having that own occupation, you're much better protected. So true own occupation, that's it. Anything else, for the most part, it's just benefiting the insurance company. Relatively, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not to paint you into a box or put you in a box, excuse me. Okay. And now the other thing that I always hear is, is riders. You can buy this additional rider. You can buy this rider. You can purchase this. Like, wh- what's a rider? What does that mean? Um, explain that for so us. A ri- so some companies come with everything included. Some companies come that are sort of you strip down and you can add things to it. So all a rider means is additional benefits on the policy. Some, so some companies, you have to have a rider that has the own occupation language. Some of them, it's built in. A couple of other riders or policy languages that's really important to have in the policy. Number one, especially when you're a young physician, non-cancelable, guaranteed renewable. With that policy language in the policy, what that says is as long as you pay your premiums, the company can never modify your contract or change your premium, or make any changes to the policy. So they can't come back and say, oh, we're no longer going to cover hep C, or we're going to have a rate increase. So it really keeps you, again, in control. So that's typically not a writer, but that's policy language. Some other writers that are usually in... Oh, go ahead. When you mentioned that, so... If they don't see that on your con, what other, is there any other type of wording that this is? So without that, usually it's called guaranteed renewable. And no, and with a guaranteed renewable contract, what that means is they can increase your premiums anytime in the future. So if they increase your premiums, they have to increase everybody's, but they still have that ability to do that. So if you're, you know, 30 years old and you're buying your policy, what you don't want to have risked is the company coming back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later saying, oh, we're having a 50% increase in premium. And at that time you say, well, gosh, I've already had a back injury or this diagnosis. I can't go out and buy it elsewhere. So you don't want to risk that having, you know, not having that language in the policy. So, Mm. um, but writers, a couple of writers that are really important. One is called residual. And what this does is um, instead of it being an all or nothing contract, meaning you're disabled or you're not, it only requires you to have a percentage loss of income. So in some cases, it's 15%. Some cases, it's 20%. If you have that much or more loss of income, that triggers a claim. So maybe you're still performing surgery, but you're only doing it 50% of the time because of a back injury. You can still file a claim and get that proportion of your benefit. And that's really important. We've had a lot of claims like that over the years. So that's an important rider. Um, it's called a residual. Residual, rider. yeah. So or okay. partial disability. That's really important to have on the policy. Another writer that's really important, especially for young doctors, is the ability to increase the benefits in the future without answering any medical questions. Now, these writers have all different names and variations depending on the company, but the, what holds true is you want to be able to buy more of this or be able to buy more of this in the future, no medical questions asked. Because because this insurance can be difficult to get in, in the first place, Avoiding having to answer medical questions is a really nice thing in the future. Um, and then really the last rider you can put on the policy is an inflation rider. It's usually called COLA. And those can vary the amount. There's 3%, 6%. Typically, I think 3% is adequate. It's fine. That only kicks in after you've been on claim for one year. That's usually the most expensive rider. Um, I think it's important to have on the policy when you're younger and you have a larger potential benefit period. If you buy your policy when you're 45 or 50, 
you may be okay. It, it can be really expensive and you may be okay not having it. But when you're in your 20s and 30s, it's really important to have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So now we got all this information. We're ready to buy or we're looking to buy. What's the best place? Where's Where are the best places to buy insurance? Do you recommend internet? Do you recommend going into your local broker and purchasing? Do you recommend going to your financial advisor? Um, and then how do you how do you compare companies um, so that they're all speaking the same language when you're comparing? So the best thing to do is, yeah, work with somebody who can br- provide you a side-by-side comparison. So that's what we do. A lot of people do find us online. I don't think there's anything wrong with going online if people are licensed all over the country, um, especially if this is their area of specialty. Um, it's really important to be able to you know, compare things apples to apples. Some companies only, you know, they show a benefit, but it's less expensive now, but it goes up and they say, look how inexpensive it is. It's not really apples to apples. You want to have look at fixed premiums comparatively. So I think the best way is either get a recommendation from a friend, somebody who's had a really good experience, somebody who already shopped it around for them, work with that person or search around and find a you know, an independent brokerage that specializes in disability insurance um, that can provide those side-by-side comparisons. Okay. And one thing I did want to mention, and I'm looking, you know, at the list of questions, something that's really important to know, and this is something that actually sets us apart, is um, women pay twice as much as men do for disability insurance. And And that's called the- We call it the the pain pain price tag. Yeah, we call it the pain price tag. So now- um, the reason they do, they say it's based on claims. My research shows that women are on claim about 12% more than men, but they're charged twice as much as, as men. So one of the things that we've worked on over the last 20 years is putting together unisex discounted rates. So what that does is now for men, it discounts their policies by 20%, but for women, it evens it out. So their premiums go down by 50%, and then they also have that 20% off. And so we're able to save women about 70% on their insurance, um, which makes a significant difference. And it's not just Wait, how rest. much? Oh, go ahead. How much? About 70%. Wow. It's okay. really, really significant. And a lot of women are like, wait, I'm missing something. <laughs> Why is this one so much less expensive? And it's just because right. it's a unisex rate. And so, um, and we have them set up pretty much at all hospitals around the country. And so that's something that sets us apart. So when somebody comes to us, we're able to offer them, especially the women, something that's significantly less expensive than again, maybe they're working with their local agent who doesn't have as much experience or doesn't have discounts available. So that's so something what, to look so- for. What does that mean? Because I, I, I hear, so what does unisex rate mean? Because for me, that would scare, if I was a female, I'd be scared. I'm like, well, shouldn't I be getting a female rate? Why well, am you, I as a female, you don't, you know, you're better off not getting female rates. So there's male rates, there's female rates, and then there's unisex rates. So the female rates are twice as much as the male rates. So a lot of men, you know, for them, it's not as significant. And, but for women, you know, saving 70%, and again, not just now, but throughout their career as they increase it, it's very, very significant. You know, I've calculated no it for some of these residents, the difference between a unisex policy and a regular policy. If you aggregate the amount you pay over the next 30 years, it could be $150,000, $200,000 savings. It's very, very significant. What's the catch? Well, the catch is in order to set it up, you have to have three people at the same hospital buy a policy all at the same time. So other brokers can help somebody set it up, but then, you know, you have to find three other people in your residency to be able to set it up to do the volume. Um, 
or, you know, we've already set it up at all of these places. So with us, you don't have to go find those other people. So that's the thing. So they're able to set it up if they have quote volume discounts because you've already worked with a lot of people there. Um, so that's, that's the way they do it. But in terms of coverage, there, there are no catches. For example, like, I don't know, female, she gets pregnant. She claims disability. Would there be a difference in how a payout would be done? Not at she all. had a unisex rate nope. versus a female rate? Not okay. at all. No difference whatsoever. So it's the identical policy. It's just at such a significant discount. Um, and there's other discounts available too. So we also have discounts, for example, through the AMA. So some of our companies, if you're an AMA member, you get 10% discount. Some of, we also have discounts with some other companies through residency programs, but some of them only count on the base policy that you get while you're a resident. And when you go to buy the policy after residency, those are not at the discounted rates. So it's important to make sure are these permanent discounts or is it only on the base policy? So that's important, but that's something that I wanted to mention. That's some, that's an area that we really focus on and help a lot of people with because it makes a significant difference for them. Okay. So let's, uh, let's play a game of role play. You down? Okay. I'm down. All right. All right, cool. All right. So let's say, let's do a scenario, a uh, 32 year old female. She's coming right out of residency. She's going into OB. Okay. Um, she has about $200,000 in debt. Um, she has no dependents. My question to you is, does she need life insurance? She does not have any dependents. Is she married? She's not married. Not married. Probably not. Not at this time. Probably okay. not at so, this time. And, and here's the other thing, too, that I was going to mention. So with student debt, it typically does not go away if you become disabled. So if you become disabled, you are still responsible for paying those um, student loan payments. If you die, most of those go away. And that's an important distinction too, when it comes to life insurance. So if, in your scenario, the 32 year old, she's got 200,000 of debt. If she dies, she's off the hook. So no, she's not leaving her parents or next of kin with $200,000 of debt. But if she were to become disabled, she's still responsible for those monthly payments. Okay, so then she definitely will need disability insurance. Yes, so I would say definitely disability, probably not life. Okay. How about a healthy, non-smoking, 35-year-old male? He's, um, uh, let's just say he's an OB attending also. How much would he expect or how much should he be expecting to pay, um, let's say, for a term life insurance plan? Let's say he's looking for, he's got two kids. He's looking for a $500,000 plan. Um, and I, based on what you're saying before already, that's probably so for, yeah, and so for if he's got very young dependents, I would probably say he needs a 30 year term because you want the okay. insurance to be enforced till the younger one is out of the nest, which is about age 25. And so <laughs> it's it's getting longer and longer as uh, <laughs> as each generation. Passes I know by, or maybe so. uh, we need a longer term. Um, so for so like for, say, a 35 year old male um a million dollars a 30 year term usually costs in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 dollars per month. That's it? Yes. And again that's for somebody very healthy. Mm, okay. So it's really not that significant. Um yeah. And then how about a disability plan? How much should he be expecting? Well, how much Okay, so based off of those numbers I gave you, let's say okay, so he wants a million dollar plan or life insurance coverage. Let's say he's OB or let's say he's ED. Let's say he's making on average, two hundred and fifty thousand okay. dollars. 
What kind of disability would you recommend for him? What kind of benefits should he be um, looking to apply Well, the first for? thing I would look at is, does he have a group policy? Because that'll determine if he's el- how much he's eligible for. If he works in a private practice, let's say, does not have a group policy, let's say he wants $10,000 a month benefit. Um, let me see here. So if he wants, say, $10,000 a month benefit, he's probably looking at about $250 per month. And again, I'm just using a round figure, about $250 a month of premium. That's what he's going to be paying for the own occupation policy. Okay. All right. And in terms of coverage, that would be, what kind of benefit would that be giving him? So it'd be, say, $10,000 of true own occupation with all those riders we discussed with the residual and the cost of living and the increased options and the rates are fixed and guaranteed. So again, that's sort of a ballpark. Okay. All right. So we're now done with role playing. And the reason why I wanted to get through all of that stuff first is because I wanted to save time um, for something that I think confuses not only me, but confuses a lot of physicians. It gets pushed upon us a lot. Yes. Um, It's something that's very expensive. And I know the audience is like, would you just ask the question? So what is the deal What's up with cash value life insurance? Tell us about it. When is it necessary? Why is it so expensive? So there's basically two types of life insurance. And I kind of go against the grain of most insurance people. Um, I am not a big fan of pushing whole life insurance for all different scenarios. It's very expensive and there's a lot of hidden fees. Um, So there's basically two types of life insurance. There's term life and there's permanent a term life policy is kind of like rent. You lock in the rate for a fixed period of time typically 10, 15, 20, or 30 years. So like we discussed, you've got somebody who's got young children, a 30-year term is probably sufficient. Um, and I would probably recommend 10 times income. So that person you, you talked about that was making you know 250,000, I would probably do 2.5 million term life, 30-year on them. Their premiums are probably around $100 per month for that. Um, a permanent policy, on the other hand, is a fixed premium and it stays fixed for their entire life. So the same, so for a million dollar or permanent whole life policy for a 35 year old, you're probably looking in the neighborhood of $10,000 per year. And that rate, and you're locked in and it's fixed all the way throughout your career for your whole life. So it's not, okay, it'll be paid up when I retire. You could pay it up. So it's significantly more expensive. Now, the advantage of it is it accumulates money on a tax-free basis, and you can pull it out you know, down the road in the future when you retire. Um, but I think there's a lot of downsides to it. I think you're locking yourself into a really expensive payment for a long period of time. It's not very flexible. You know, I've seen clients who come to me after purchasing one years ago, and they're you know, they can't afford it anymore. They've had job change, life changes, and it's it can be pretty significant. The only time where I think it is necessary to have that is once somebody is completely maxed out, you know, they're making a significant income, they've completely maxed out their retirement, their debts are paid off, and they're saying, where can I park some more cash? And I won't notice it if it's gone. That Then perhaps in that case, you know, they can commit to doing that. I think that that makes sense. Most residents are not even close to that scenario. Um, and then the other incident where, or incidents where it makes sense to have a permanent policy, I'll give you an example. I had a client of mine who bought a term policy years ago with me, and he now has a, cl- a child with severe special needs who's going to be dependent on him for life. And he himself is now uninsurable. He's got heart problems and other kinds of problems. So he cannot go out and buy insurance. 
in his scenario, we're changing his term policy to a permanent policy because he needs to set up a trust for when something happens for his special need child. So given extenuating circumstances, I think it can make sense. For most people, I typically don't recommend the cash value life insurance. And if you do have somebody who's really pushing on it, um, I would run. <laughs> That's my <opinion>. Be very <laughs> careful. Right. And there I've, are I've a made couple companies, mistake. they pose as financial planners. They do a whole great song and dance. And a lot of clients get really sucked into it, have a hard time saying no. But you have to realize that this is something that you're locking yourself into for your whole life, which is a really big deal. Hmm. Okay. Well, I appreciate you explaining that. I think that makes a lot of sense. So for the most part, we'd have to say probably like 90% of the time, you probably don't need it if you're a young physician, young attending, young um, resident. Exactly. And if okay. somebody's recommending that, you know, you have to also really look at, are, do they really have the resident's best interest at heart? I mean, most residents are coming out, they have a lot of debt. They don't exactly know what their future holds. They haven't started saving for retirement. And, you know, they're probably going to have two or three job changes and moves and everything else in between. And so to commit to something that's significant can be really intimidating. Mm. Okay. Well, I think we covered a lot on this show. Um, I really, truly appreciate you being on the show. I think we have learned a lot. We've gotten tons of information from you. Um, But now I want to give you an opportunity to kind of showcase yourself and your company. So can you tell us a little bit about your company, Set for Life Insurance? Where can we find you? Things of that nature. Yeah. So our website is setforlifeinsurance.com, S-E-T-F-O-R-L-I-F-E insurance.com. Um, We're based out of Greenwood Village, Colorado, outside of Denver, Colorado, but we're licensed in all 50 states. So we work with people all over the place. And and really our approach, like I said, is a little bit different than others. We're not, we don't hold ourselves out as financial planners and push the whole life and that sort of thing. We are insurance brokers and we're proud of the fact that we're insurance brokers. And that's really the area that we love. Um, We do specialize primarily working with physicians, people in the medical field. Um, The majority of the new clients that come to us are coming to us out of medical school, out of residency. So we've been doing it for 23 years. So we really have a good understanding and feel of what's involved and what it's like that period in your life. Um, And our approach is also, we're really more matter of fact. We don't, we're not pushy. We're not aggressive. We're very down to earth. And we take pride in that. A lot of our clients appreciate the fact that we take very complex types of scenarios and simplify it and distill it down so it's very simple to make a decision um, as opposed to doing a lot of insurance speak, which can be boring and intimidating. <laughs> so Definitely intimidating, yes. I think, but I think you've definitely dumped it down for us all. And um, thank you so much for being on the show. We got to do it again. I'm thinking about having an ask me anything type session. So um, maybe we can have you on the show uh, later on when we get some questions about disability and life insurance. Yeah. And that was actually one other thing I was going to state. One of the things that's really important with working with somebody with experiences, especially when somebody has sort of a different situation, whether it's a medical situation or something like that. If you work with somebody who has a lot of experience, they may be able to better guide you. Um, you know, how do I disclose this? Do I disclose this? Which company is going to be best for me given my medical history? So again, just another reason to really work with somebody who has a lot of experience in the field of disability insurance. Love it. Absolutely. Well, Jamie, thank you again. Thank you. And, um, My pleasure.
I appreciate you being on the show. Sounds great. Thank you so much. So another episode is done. So what did y'all think about that episode? I thought it was really interesting. I really want to know what you guys thought about the pink price tag and and even more so the difference between an insurance agent and an insurance broker. Like I said in the intro, I didn't know that there was a difference. So learning that difference really is interesting. And it's amazing how the small little subtleties can make a big difference in price tag for these products. But full disclosure, I actually decided to use Jamie to help me purchase or at least to help me revise my my current life and disability insurance products that I have. So that's one thing that you guys should know. And I, I'd like you guys to hit me off and let me know what you thought. Hit me at Twitter at DocsOTB. Hit me on Gmail at DocsOTB at gmail.com. I'm really interested in getting your feedback on this episode, whether it's good, whether it's bad. Either way, in the infancy of this, of this podcast, it's really going to help the show grow. Also, if you are finding value from this show, please, please, please give me a review. Give me some type of um, critique on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or even Google Play Music. It really helps the show grow. And when the show grows, I can continue to give you great guests who are going to continue to drop gems on you. It's really appreciated. So this one was actually a short interview compared to the previous ones. And based on the feedback that I've been getting, it looks as though you guys prefer shorter episodes as opposed to longer ones. So I'm going to try my best to keep them as short as possible without cutting out too much of the really good stuff. And also, like I said, I always appreciate the feedback, whether it's good or bad. So it is feedback time. I am going to take an opportunity to read all the feedback that I've been getting from you all through all of the different media outlets, whether it be the website, Twitter, or even Facebook. So this first one I'm going to read is very recent, but it's actually about the first interview that I did with Dr. Carmen Brown. For those who haven't heard, Dr. Carmen Brown is a U.S. trained, U.S. born physician who practices OB and she up and left the United States and went with her husband and her child to New Zealand where she has this absolutely amazing lifestyle that I think a lot of people really liked. It resonated with a lot of people. So Lydia Searcy left this review on the website and she says, thank you for this interview, Drs. Darko and Brown. I absolutely love this interview. I appreciate Dr. Brown's candor and for her sharing her story. Thank you, Dr. Darko, for starting this site. You're welcome. I think that many of us are increasingly wondering about the various outside-the-box options for physicians or even just ways to improve the work-life balance conundrum. I look forward to future podcasts. Lydia, thank you so much. On Facebook, I got hit up by Dr. Pakofi Obang. He says, this is an excellent podcast. I recommend it to every doctor. Dr. Bang, thanks for the love. I appreciate it. I'm so glad you're a subscriber. I hope you keep listening. The next one, this doctor, I hope you don't get upset about me messing up your name, but this is Dr. Shanuga. Your first name is, I believe is Abimbola. Uh, Abimbola Shanuga. He says, I absolutely love this podcast. As a recent residency graduate, I find myself constantly thinking about my future and what I want out of it. A lot of my thoughts involve doing little things or doing little outside of the box of medicine, but I often feel that most of my colleagues can't relate to a similar mindset. However, this podcast allows me to hear from doctors who have successfully done things differently, which is very encouraging. You're welcome. Thank you for coming up with this idea. Keep doing great work, Dr. Darko. So to everyone who continues to leave me feedback, thank you so much. It is well appreciated. It really does help the show to grow. I think this interview is gone long enough. The podcast has gone long enough. So without further ado, everyone, remember one last thing before we go, and that's to always live outside the box.